0: Hey everyone, thanks for being with us at Encounter Church today and happy Independence Day to you. Whether you're listening today, July 4th, or in the days or weeks to come, I know there are so many things that we can celebrate being Americans. Like any country, we have our struggles, we have our issues, but man, there are so many good ways that God has blessed and that God is uniquely Uh, bless this country and many others around the world. And so we're just so grateful. Happy Independence Day to you. Hope that your July 4th weekend was and or is a good one. Uh, We look forward to celebrating with you the next time we get to see you here in just a few weeks. But today... We're starting a new series called Forgotten Virtues. And unfortunately, like, I like and don't like the issue or the name of the title because I think about, well, it's Forgotten Virtue. What is it? It's not that it's forgotten or that it should be forgotten, but these virtues that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks should not be forgotten, It's almost like we should say they're rare virtues, but these are so like forgotten virtues that when people talk about them, they talk about the stories of when they encountered it and how unique it was. Even this week, as we talk about the word loyalty, as we dive into this word, so many of you have experienced loyalty, but I'm telling you, it's just rare, in fact, the Bible verse that we're going to look at today and just a few of the Bible verses even talk about the uniqueness of what it means to be loyal and when you experience it. When you look up the good definition of loyalty in the, actually, if you look up the definition of loyalty, it's similar to other definitions. When you look it up, I'm like, seriously, that's all you got, Webster's? You know, you look up a word in certain forms, like loyalty, and it's like the state of being loyal. You're like, really? Can, you, can we go to definition number two? Um, I remember in school growing up, when I didn't remember the definition of a word, I would write the state of being, and then I would try to make up a root form of that word. It, It didn't work most of the time. But loyalty is a word that we don't even use, but we use other words that are tied to it, like faithful. This idea of being loyal is someone who is faithful all the time. Even when we think about the word "simperfidelis." that's connected to the Marines, when they say always faithful, or you can always depend on me. In essence, no matter what happens, no matter the circumstance, no matter what you say or what you don't say, no matter what you do or even you don't do, I will be here for you. And that is non-circumstantial. That's just a choice. So the, the idea of being loyal is a man or a woman who is ongoingly faithful, right? They're faithful all the time, no matter what you say or don't say, no matter what you do or don't do, they are always loyalty. And really, it's rare. It's rare in friendships, and we know that. You can recount some friends that you have or some friends that you used to have. The reason they're not in your life anymore is because there's something that happened. Maybe it was something that dealt with you. Maybe it was something that they said. Or maybe it was something that you know and you humbly could say, really, it was kind of between the both of us. It just didn't work out and the relationship is over. Circumstances end relationships all the time. We're in the height of relationships. When you think about a marriage, a a marriage that when you stand on a stage and one day you say, I will always be faithful to you until the end or until, until death do us part. And a large number of marriages even end in divorce because of us running out of energy of saying yes every day. We want to give up, and circumstantially something happens, a decision's made, and sometimes I understand what happens in relationships. There are strings that are broken, there are ties that are that are broken because of a lack of faithfulness and a lack of loyalty. In friendships or in marriage or even in any relationship outside of those, it's easy to find ourselves saying, I don't have many friends. It's easy to find ourselves saying, "Can I trust anyone?" It's easy to find ourselves frustrated because we're looking for loyalty. In fact, I've been having these conversations with the boys, and every now and then they'll say something like, "Well, I only have this friend. I only have two friends." And I always tell them they're probably tired of hearing me saying this because I say many things that they're probably tired of hearing. I say, "Listen, most people don't have more than one or two friends, and honestly, it's about all you need." What I mean is that even as a kid, I remember having a few friends. As, as a young adult, I remember just having a few friends. And as an adult, there are a few people that I could, that I could call on right now that I know are going to be there with me for the end. It doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of people that, that like you. That doesn't mean you don't have a lot of people that you could call and say, hey, I'm really in need. Can you help me out? You have a a few close friends, and you have maybe probably a lot of people on the periphery that know you and care about you or would pat you on the back and say, hey, if I can do anything for you, let me know. But a few friends that really know you and know you well, I've told them, listen, it doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult, you will find that friendships are rare. In fact, I, I read this verse to them, and I want to read this one to you. This is found in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Listen to this. It says, many will say they are loyal friends. But who can find one who is truly reliable? It's this rhetorical question from the author of Proverbs, Solomon. Many will say that they have friends. Many will say that they have many that they can rely on. Many will say they are reliable. But actually finding someone that is really reliable is rare. He said the same thing about finding a good spouse, right? Is that finding a good spouse is rare. Finding a good spouse woman is rare. He says that in, throughout a few times in the book of Proverbs In Proverbs 31 repeated again. And this idea of friendship is even repeated in this book of wisdom saying that it's really, really rare to find a really good friend. I don't know how many friends you talked to from high school. And I'm not saying I didn't have good friends in high school because I can tell you that I really had some good friends I had a great time with in high school. But over time, you realize that friendships change and friendships go down different directions. And it's not that they don't care about you or love you. It's just that you go different ways. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's the case where friendship ends because you really realize that that they're not who they said they were and that you really couldn't rely on them the way that you thought you could or they really aren't who they said they were going to be. And so I remind the boys all the time, and whether you're listening to this as a young adult whether you're listening to this as a teenager or younger than a teenager, or you're listening to this and you are 50, 55, 60 years or older, I think we can all recognize a really good friend who knows you, who loves you, who will care about you no matter what, who no matter what you say, no matter what you do, they will always be your friend. In fact, I've had many conversations over the last 12 months with people in friends and sometimes in a counseling type relationship as a pastor where they have been so hurt all it took and you know this all it took was for one friend quote to say one thing set you off and you're no longer friends you lose the relationship over one comment right and loyalty is broken friendship is broken all it takes is for one person to not make that phone call and you're disappointed you thought man i thought you were my friend all it takes is one thing that did not happen. Not that happened. One thing that did not happen in a friendship and a tie is broken. How many friends do you have that you know will be your friends for life? I would probably best guess to say you could count those on one hand or less. And that's okay. I think it's confirmed throughout the story of Scripture. I think it's confirmed um, through even so much research of people in their inner circle and their people's ability to have really good friends, you need just a few good friends. Proverbs 20, verse 6, many will say, but there are actually few that are. So again, I'll read it again. Many will say that they're loyal, but who can find one that's truly reliable? It's not to say today that you can't find a loyal friend. It's just to say that if you do, it's really really rare. So what does disloyalty look like? We're talking about loyalty. What about disloyalty? What, where does it come from? I want to talk for just a few moments about where disloyalty comes from. And there's two things that I wrote down this week that I really want you to think about. Disloyalty, first of all, comes from our sin. It comes from our sin nature. Now, it's easy for me as a pastor, teacher, communicator to say you, and I want to use the pronoun we, or I want to say even us. This, this comes from our sin. This is not your issue. It's everyone's issue. It's my issue. It's your issue. The, the idea of sin is that there is any thought or attitude or action that is not whole and pleasing to God. Any thought, attitude, or action or decision that is contrary to what God desires. Now, we learn from the Bible and we study even the, the word theology, the study of God. So, when we study God, who He is, what His character is, what His what what he's like, we see that he's whole, he's perfect, and he he is without sin. But we understand from Scripture, from the very beginning, because Adam and Eve chose to sin, there was a curse on humanity. And every boy and every girl that is born is born into sin. So it means that when we're born, we're born into a state of sinning. So when you are born, you are born flawed. Now, we don't think about it that way because we come out and we see a beautiful child. We hold a beautiful child. We think, oh, how sweet they are, right? But then they start crying. You're like, you got to stop crying, kid, you know? We're born needy. We're born where we need someone. I even listened to a, um, a uh, Christian psychologist this past week. He goes, isn't it unique that the first thing we experience from a child when they're born is that they need help? We're born into a state where we are not sufficient in and of ourselves, and we even die that way, don't we? I listened to him just last week, downtown Boston at a church, and he was talking, he was, when we're born and when we die, something is similar, we need. And guess what happens in between when, we, when, when we're born onto this earth and when we die? Everything in between, we need, we need, we need. We need relationship, we need help. We need counsel, we need money. We need, we need, we need. This is our state. And so one reason that we are disloyal is because we are born into need. We're born into sin. It just means this. In some ways, I'm giving grace to you. I'm giving grace to myself. We're not perfect. Your friends that have disappointed you in the past, your family that's disappointed you in the past, any idea or person that comes to mind when I say disloyal, it's because they're broken. And so are you. And so am I. We are born into sin, and our state is need. The second word that I wrote down this week is that we have a divided heart, and here's what I mean. The moment that disloyalty happens, there was a choice, and that choice was not you. Depending on the circumstance, right, when someone disappointed you, they chose a different path. Now, this is easy. An easy illustration is when you think about a marriage that's broken because of infidelity, because a spouse has decided to become unfaithful. What was that? They chose someone else. And so our heart is often divided. When a person works too long and does not show up at home, they're not present at home, what are they doing? They're choosing a career. They're choosing a different path of success. It's easy for any, any, any of us to do. They're choosing a different, and so they're choosing to be more loyal at home than they are at work or they're choosing to be more loyal at work than they are at home and so because of our sinful state and because of our heart it's often tied to different things we choose to be disloyal no one wants to do it on purpose but it's easy and it happens so easily from you and I so disloyalty will happen and it will continue to happen because of our broken fragility It will happen and continue to happen because of our sin. It will happen and continue to happen because our heart is often torn and divided. And we want option B rather than sticking with option A. So what does loyalty look like? I read this from a mentor this past week. He said, true loyalty is proven and not proclaimed. It's easy to say you want to be loyal, but saying you want to be loyal doesn't last for very long, does it? That's why it's easy to say on the wedding day, I commit myself to you. During the repeating of the vow section, I often will make you know the bride and the groom repeat after me. And one of the things that they say is just that I give all of myself to you now and always. If I choose to give all of myself to you now and always, that's so beautiful when you're wearing a white gown. That's so beautiful when you're in a tuxedo. It's so easy to say... And you look out in the congregation, everyone's smiling and happy. It's easy to say, but it's really, really hard to do every single day. So true loyalty is not just spoken, it's proven. At times, when I am even talking with the boys, I'll say, Hey, right, that's a good idea. Now prove it. Now prove it. You're saying it. Now show me. You say is one thing, but show is different. So true loyalty is proven and not proclaimed. The other thing I wrote down about true loyalty this week is this. It's this statement. I will stick by you. This is what it sounds like and what it looks like. Often in like, like rhetorical thinking inside of my brain and, or critical thinking when I'm in a conversation, I'll say, what does this look like and what does it sound like? Let's describe what we're talking about in more detail. So i thought about this week with loyalty. What does this look like and what does it sound like? It sounds like someone that actually says this, I will stick by you no matter what it costs me. I will stick by you no matter what it costs me. What does it look like? Well, it looks like someone that sacrifices what they want for what you want. So what does it sound like and what does it look like? What it looks like is someone that puts what you want in front of what they want. So they put aside themselves for the sake of, of you. No better example than the two I'm going to give you right now. The first, I want to describe the early church, right? The early church, when I refer to the earlier church, I mean just after the the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We have this incredible book called the book of Acts. And it really is a collection of stories of acts of what the the early Christians did. What did they do? What did they, they say? where did they go? How did they preach? How did they serve? What, what did their lives look like? We have several years of stories collected in this book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, there's this incredible example of what the early church did. And it is a beautiful picture of a group of people who were loyal to one another, no matter what it cost them. This is found in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read just a few verses to you from Acts chapter 2. It says this, They devoted, they is the early church, the the believers, the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together, in the temple courts. Now, I've read this for several years, and every time I stop on verse 44, I'm like, really? All the believers were together, and they had everything in common? Now, in some ways, not that I disagree with this story, because I don't necessarily disagree with this story, but this is a, an incredible, beautiful picture of the early church. They had everything in common. Now, can you find any group of people, more than two, that have everything in common, or let's be specific on two. You can't find a husband and wife, just two people that had everything in common. So how did this early church, these early believers in this city, have everything in common? I can say this. In reality, they didn't have everything in common. They didn't love all the same food. They didn't have all the same preferences of what they wore. They didn't have all the same convictions. But what they did do is that they worked so beautifully together that the outside world said they are unified. And that is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Just last week, someone reached out to my wife that just wanted help and just wanted counsel. And she said, you and Jason have such like a beautiful, perfect marriage. And Rachel reminded them, no, we don't. And even though I like to say like we do only because of Rachel, the reality is we don't. We work hard at it we 're selfish at times, like there 's but to the outside world, they look at something that 's wholesome and they look at something that 's good, and we do have a great marriage, and I thank God often for Rachel, I thank God often for my wife, I really, really am grateful, but there are times when outsiders say, "Man, you guys have something special, and they 're right, but if they say that we 're it 's perfect, no, we certainly we don 't. We have our issues, and i 'm selfish you know once once or twice a month, right no we don 't have a perfect marriage, but we work at it. The early church was so beautiful and unified that the outside world said they have everything in common like they're working together and they work together so much they even compound all of their resources to sell it and give their money away and meet the needs of the poor and, and take care of the widows and the orphans like they came together for a unified cause they came together and they gave of themselves they gave of their time they gave of their possessions they were loyal to one another And the outside world took notice. More than likely, when this was described, this was probably around 34 or 35, 36 A.D. Just after the time of Jesus' resurrection, the early church began to grow and grow rapidly. Between then and the next 200 years, Christianity really became known as the world religion. For every world at the time that was known and discovered or written about, I mean, the next 200 years, Christianity conquered the known world. It was because of their love, because of their unity, because of their loyalty with one another. Not just their loyalty to God, but their loyalty to one another. The next beautiful description I want to give to you was was the author of what I just described. The author of what I just described, his name is Jesus. And many of you tuned in today because you know Jesus. Many of you tuned in today because you're a Christian, because you have faith in God. And some of you tuned in today and you're listening, and I've talked to so many of you over the years. Some of you are listening in today because you're curious, because you're searching. Well, there's a man named Jesus who was the only one who is always loyal. As I said earlier, you can give grace to you, give grace to myself because you're broken and you're fragile and you're born into sin. You're not perfect and I'm not perfect. My marriage isn't perfect. It's because I'm not perfect and you and I are not loyal. Even though even there's another scripture that says, even though we are faithless, God will remain faithful. He is the only one. And I wanted to describe the early church first because I wanted to show that it is possible for men and women to come together in unity. It is possible for a man to marry a woman and then to be married forever and be loyal to the end. It is possible the way that God described for the marriage to be beautiful and loyal and faithful. It is possible. But even though we're broken and fragile, there's only one that's perfect. And Jesus, what Jesus did, the way that Jesus washed the disciples' feet The way that Jesus never gave up on anyone in need, even when people deserted him, even when Peter denied him three times during the time when Jesus was being convicted um, and or blamed of his sin, right? Even though he is sinless, he was killed on the cross because they said that he was being blasphemous. They claimed that he was breaking the rules of the day. Even though he was without guilt, even though Jesus had not sinned, even during that time when Peter turned his back on him, Jesus did not turn his back on Peter. Jesus is the only one who is forever loyal. Jesus is the only one who is faithful all the time, and he proved that. When Jesus died and was buried and rose again from the dead, he came back to Peter and he said, Peter, I forgive you. Now I have a job for you. Anytime the disciples lacked faith, anytime people around him lacked faith, and they didn't see, they didn't understand, or they they even blamed Jesus when Jesus was supposedly spending a a lot of time with children. like, Jesus, shouldn't you be spending too much time with the children? And and they would try to push Jesus a certain way, and Jesus often corrected them. No, 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 no. The children... If you have faith like a child, you can be saved. Jesus, even in the moment when they disagreed with Jesus and they challenged Jesus and they didn't understand, Jesus loved them and was faithful to them to the end. Jesus loved them and was loyal to them to the end. He is the only one that is forever loyal. So how do we pursue this? Even though we're broken and fragile and full of sin, how do we pursue it? Like Jesus, we must count the cost. The first thing, you must count the cost. Jesus counted the cost. And when Jesus came to earth to be born, to die on the cross, he knew he was giving himself. When Jesus spread his arms and died on the cross for you and I, to offer the forgiveness of sin to the world, Jesus counted the cost. And for us, in order for us to be loyal, we must count the cost as well. Jesus counted the cost. When Jesus died on the cross, he counted the cost to be loyal to his father to give himself as a sacrifice and to communicate to the entire world that he loves them. You and I, in order to be loyal back to God, we have to count the cost. In order for us to be loyal to our spouse, we must count the cost. In order for us to be loyal to friends, we must count the cost. And it does cost something to be a good friend. The second thing I wrote down was that we must suffer for the sake of your friend. Being a good friend requires suffering We don't like to hear that, but being a good friend requires suffering because at the very moment where you sense disloyalty, there's pain. And anytime there's pain, what are we taught to do? We're taught to pull the hand back. When a child touches something hot, it's an involuntary response to pull that hand back and to run from pain. There's no different in your life. The moment of pain, we run. The moment of challenge, we give up. Some of you want to give up on relationships, give up on marriage, give up on your workplace because of a lack of loyalty. Honestly, it's not just loyalty, it's pain. It's the pain of it. It's the pain of disappointment, the pain of shame, and the pain of being let down. At the moment of that, we want to run. And I want to tell you this. If you want to be loyal, you have to suffer a little while. What I'm not saying is that you should accept abuse. What I'm not saying is that you should accept harassment. Like, we could just talk a long time. Maybe that's a different message for a different day. But I know that there's boundaries. There's a time when you draw that boundary and you don't put up with things anymore. In fact, I won't go into detail because it's really kind of a crazy story. Today, I was in a, in a particular workplace, and I'm really wrestling. This is a real-time struggle. I was in a particular workplace where I saw a boss mistreating his employee. And I almost gave him a blessing and it wouldn't have come across as a blessing, right? There's a time to, like, draw a boundary and say, hey, I don't think you should do that. I'm not saying let people run over you. I'm not saying when someone's been disloyal to you time and time again that you should just let it be abused. Even today, the reason I'm struggled is that I didn't say something. I thought, well, that's not my place. I'm going to kind of stay out of their workplace business. But three times this guy was rude to his employee. And it's really hard for me sometimes to keep my mouth shut if I'm just being honest with you. And one reason why I might come across as disloyal at times because I speak the truth. And I think sometimes that's really, really required. But also there's a, there's a time for you to keep your mouth shut, the Bible would say. There's a time for you to say something. And even on the way here today, I thought, man, should I say something? Why I should have said something? Maybe it's none of my business, right? So being a good friend is hard because sometimes you've got to speak the truth. Being a good friend is hard because sometimes they disappoint you and they will. But in order to be loyal... Because there's brokenness in this world, you have to be willing to put up with disappointment and pain. Otherwise, the moment it happens, you're gone. No marriage will last if the marriage will not put up with a little bit of pain. I know there's a boundary to it. I know there's a time to draw a line in the sand. And so that's for a different conversation, right? For you to think on and reflect on what healthy boundaries look like. But I'm saying this. In order for you to be loyal, You have to be willing to suffer for the sake of your friend. The last thing I would say is to put yourself in the second chair. In order to be loyal, you can't be selfish. In order to to be loyal, you have to be willing to put yourself in the second chair. And often even when I describe when a beautiful marriage is working, it's when both people really fight for the second chair. When one person is fighting for the first chair, they're being selfish, right? It's easy. We wake up selfish. We don't wake up selfless. But when two people are fighting to put the other person first, man, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And loyalty requires that. When we say, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'm here for you. and When you disappoint me, I'm still here for you. When you let me down, I'm still here for you. And ultimately requires you and I to both say that no matter What? I will count the cost. No matter what, I will suffer a little bit because you will disappoint me. And no matter what, I am going to put you first. If you do those things, you will be a loyal friend. And if you do those things, ultimately you will reflect to Jesus because there's only one who is forever loyal. There's only one who is forever faithful and His name is Jesus. He counted the cost and He died for you. He suffered By dying on the cross for you. And you know what he did? He put you first by saying, I'm going to die for you. And ultimately, what did God the Father do? God the Father blessed God the Son, Jesus. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He is the only one that's worthy in honor of our praise because of his perfection. He's the only one that's worthy in honor because of his loyalty. Though you are faithless, he will remain faithful. Though we lack loyalty, he is forever loyal. We can always, always look to Jesus, the one who is forever loyal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this series because we will look to you. These forgotten virtues, we don't want them to be forgotten anymore. We want them to be present in our lives. Thank you ultimately for being the one and only picture of perfection the one and only picture of loyalty. And so, Father, no matter what we're going through in this space, the folks listening, the folks, folks listening through our podcast or even listening live, would you speak through the power of your Spirit and encourage us to follow your example, to be loyal, no matter the cost, no matter how much we have to suffer, and no matter how much we have to be selfless, would you pour out your blessing on us? Thank you for this time, and may you do an incredible, powerful work during this series in Jesus' name. Thank you for being a part of Encounter Church today as we begin this series on uh, these uh, forgotten virtues. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged and blessed. We hope you have an incredible week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day.